In 2017, I located a box of my late grandfather's memoirs. My sister Justine took it upon herself to organize his quirky tales. We felt a podcast would do his stories justice. While we didn't know him very well, through his words, we have connected with our grandfather in a way like never before. His extraordinarily ordinary memories live on. I'm Janica, and together with my sister Justine, we are the proud granddaughters of Ernest J. Hamer Jr. And you're listening to The Unimportance of Being Ernie podcast. You'll hear a conversational style approach with storytelling and a few Australian history lessons sprinkled in along the way. We hope you enjoy. Oh, sorry, my turn. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) How are you? Um, So today... Again, we'll be reading the second half of the chapter from my unusual army career with my sister Janica and I'm Justine. Um, just hello. wanted to quickly hello. <laughs> I just wanted to quickly mention as well uh, in the quick discussion I had off air um, how discussing Granddad after reading his stories, I keep having these little small memories of him crop up uh, so we can talk about him and I didn't expect that to happen during this uh, podcast and it's been a pleasant surprise that I actually have remembered more of my granddad than I thought I did how are you feeling about it Jen I feel the same way just oh it is really lovely to have these memories come back be brought back forth and be brought forth should I say (laughs) Uh, yes no, I, yeah. I completely understand I'm enjoying it so we're going to be so. heading into the next part next of chapter session. two sure I'll get started all right the company of being formed while I was at Wilson's promontory became the second eighth sorry the two eighth would that be yes yeah, <laughs> I'm sure somebody can explain this a little better, but maybe it's just the how the uh, uh, Australian Army itemized each regiment or each yes. sort of uh, complement, should I say? And how, yes. maybe they just didn't have creative names for it all. Maybe they just went by numbers. You know? I think so because Something there was like a lot of segments to yeah. certain sections of the army. So right, but, okay. Um, Please put up with our way of saying two dash eight. And if you have the correct way of saying it, please reach out to us and let us know because we would like to know this. Yeah. All right. So I'll start again. The company being formed while I was at Wilson's Promontory became the second eighth independent company and sported a white double diamond. They first served at Darwin, then Bougainville where they were most effective. Their effectiveness was such that the Japanese decided to copy their tactics. Now we return to the predicament of the ship stranded in the shallows. For some reason, my group was a few days late arriving to the scene, at the scene. The habitations were to occupy 
we were to occupy consisted of three walls constructed of cases of beer with a tarpaulin, 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 pulled over the roof. A tarp. That's <laughs> <laughs> the original long word of tarp. Okay. The, <laughs> the beach four kilometers each side of the ship was strewn with tins of boot polish tubes of toothpaste and rolls of film. There must have been millions of them. Unloading the ship had been going on without our assistance for a long time and no one wanted us. We were in time to hear the most ridiculous order ever given to Australian troops. Before driving away in his staff car, Colonel MacDonald issued the directive, two bottles of beer per man per day. As if on cue, everyone present, everyone present, finished the order for him. Perhaps. <laughs> what a foolish optimist! We were living in the middle of the, in the middle of the stuff. Nothing is more distressing. I wonder what that meant. Perhaps is it a song or something or? What no, he must have that? always given out orders and then finished them off with perhaps like. <laughs> Oh, this will okay. happen maybe maybe right perhaps okay <laughs> nothing is more distressing than watching people in the long process of degenerating into hopeless alcoholics some of our smart lads managed to compress the period required into a few days we watched with with some dismay as a gang who had been working in the hold of the ship were, hoist, were hoisted in a cargo net and deposited gently on the beach. They were incapable of walking. <laughs> Our dismay probably stemmed from the fact we hadn't had the, we hadn't the opportunity to be likewise. This paled into insignificance when compared with the rumored activities of the drunk, of the truck drivers. The ship had had spirits and wines among its cargo. For security reasons, this cargo was off, offloaded first and whisked away to secret locations. No one consulted the truck drivers of their ideas of secrecy. Trucks were eventually located at various towns in Gippsland. Several were found in Melbourne City and suburbs and one en enterprising fellow in a new semi-trailer abandoned it empty, north of the New South Wales-Victoria border. Devious people, those truck drivers. Without having done anything useful, we returned to the camp, which was called Foster, after the nearest town. The town was along 60 kilometers from the camp. On arrival, we were told various rumors. Chief among these was the camp was going to be abandoned. Another, we were going to be trained as paratroops, as is usual. With army rumors, they were about half correct. After a week, oh, your turn. After a week or so of very intensive training and more than the usual quota of punishment drills, the troops returned to normal following their unexpected fling at debauchery. One of the punishments, which was cunningly avoided by me, yet again, was to <laughs> climb one of the local features known as Mount Oberon. Carrying a stick with his name written on it, 
The wrongdoer had to exchange his stick for the one which had been left on the summit by the previous offender. There was no chance of cheating. Other punishments were full pack and rifle drills, which were difficult to avoid. My continuing employment as Batman excused me from some of the worst punishments uh, parades. Sorry, I just got caught on the word Batman. So I'm guessing that was just someone who did other menial tasks for people. Perhaps like a personal assistant or something. Yeah. Yes. Mm, Interesting. Our granddad was Batman. (laughs) (laughs) He sure was. Uh, True to rumour, we were visited by a British colonel whose exploits had won him the Victorian Cross. During a speech to the assembled troops, of which I never heard a word, he drummed up the enthusiasm for all of us to become paratroopers. Talking later to my boss, Lieutenant Bailey, I remarked on the patent stupidity of entrusting oneself to a seamless fragile sorry seemingly fragile silken umbrella it was a surprise when he said well i volunteered why don't you we go up to melbourne for the examinations next week it was not the possibility of becoming a paratrooper which made me volunteer as well it was the opportunity to see the bright lights of melbourne which decided me it was automatic that bailey should volunteer He was a fine figure of a man and very handsome. His only problem was gambling. He even tried to borrow money from me when I was on a losing streak, which was the height of his desperation because my pockets were always empty. Beside that, he was supposed to pay me for doing his laundry. (laughs) Lieutenant Bailey went to Melbourne with the first group to examine for acceptance into training for the paratroops. The group which included me followed a week or so later. The examinations, which were identical to those given to potential RAAF, aircrew, RAF aircrew, were conducted in a... Royal Australian Air Force. Yes, that's right. Um, Were conducted in some college or university. The physical requirements were, accordingly, very stringent. In my opinion, any chance of passing a physical exam was zero. Once again, my opinion was contrived to be incorrect. (laughs) There were three of us in a group who were dubious about our ability to successfully pass various sections of the physical examination. It was mandatory to have 13 points of contact with the teeth. There had to be 20-20 vision and bodily deformities were no recommendation. Considering the restriction of my movement of my shoulder, my chances were remote. Another lad, Vincent Patrick O'Leary, had teeth which were slightly deformed, so he could not clench them. Another one of the group had weak vision. We three began talking, and it was O'Leary who suggested a ruse. It depended on a well-known army fact. Troops en masse did not have identities. They only have numbers. This dictum was known and used by the idlers in the transit camps. We would apply it to the examining doctors. The first to try the dodge was me. After completing my own dental examination, I waited for a while, then presented myself for the same examination. With papers confirming I was VP O'Leary. O'Leary did the same with the optical test 
and the other fellow's papers. He in turn passed the physical test in my name. The ruse worked perfectly. Nobody noticed anything out of place. You'd think that the examiners would recognise their faces, though. Seriously. Yeah, but they see so Betty. Yeah, they probably go, uh, well, the papers, maybe they're twins or something. <laughs> like, the papers got to be correct. <laughs> oh, my turn. We returned quite happily through the lush green Gippsland farmlands. The one outstanding feature there was everyone you saw was wearing gumboots. While being tracked from Foster to the camp on the narrow neck of the promontory, I had my first sight of a big kangaroo at full speed. It was strange to have come so far to see that most common sight. After all, Western Australia is home to uncounted millions of those menaces. The camp itself was in a mild uproar when we finally arrived. The first stages, my apologies, reminding me again that we were supposed to have recorded this session. <laughs> the first stages of a projective move were in progress. There was no great rush. The main, bit, the main business in hand was the disposal of explosives and surplus ammunition. It was an extremely noisy process. More rifle and small arms bores were worn out in a short period of time than in many of the protracted sieges of history. Except in one instance, the explosives were detonated in bulk lots. The exception came about as the result of a theory held by one of the engineer officers. His contention was gelignite and quarry monobel had different effects when it exploded, when they exploded. The effect of gelignite was, he contended, to explode vertically upwards, while quarry mono, monobel exploded downward. To prove his theory, he had a case of the quarry monobel buried under the chassis of an old car which was located near the camp. His confidence was so great, he insisted slit trenches near the site of the explosion could be occupied in complete safety. A number of us, ignorant but intrepid privates, were dragooned into crouching into the totally inadequate slit trenches. It came close to being a terrible disaster. The case of the quarry monobel was detonated. The ancient chassis, in contradiction to the theories of the engineer officer, sailed in a beautiful curve right over our heads. After a quick check to find out if anyone had been injured, we were dismissed. Nobody bothered to inspect the crater for a possible downward blast. An important lesson had been learned. Trust no one with explosives, not even yourself. <laughs> I am surprised an engineer didn't know <laughs> which direction explosives are anyway so last chapter i uh, sorry last uh, paragraph rumors of the new location of the camp or its training role in the future began to circulate the sorry the name kananangra was mentioned it was not for me to know how much kananangra was to figure in my army career the second eighth independent company still had to be brought up to active standard power however my time with the unit came to an abrupt end. 
notification had come for me to travel to Tokumwal to begin training as a paratrooper. And that concludes Tokumwal. chapter two. Yes. yes. yes what it is sorry seeing as it's the name of uh chapter three? What is how yes. do you pronounce that um place? To Tokumwal. 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 Hmm. Yes. We'll have to look it's, that up before we spelled, start. It's spelled T-O-C-U-M-W-A-L. Hey, Siri, let me ask you again. Oh, goodness. <laughs> sorry. Siri was really trying to take a look at that. Where is Tarkhamwell? Mm. Australia. It's in New South Wales. It is near... Strathmerton, Cobram, Berrigan, Finlay, Blighty, and Murray Valley National Park. It's just north of. Oh, it's really on the border of Mel of Victoria and New South Wales. Goodness, the big Murray cod. Someone's taken a great picture near that. So, Grandad thus far has been from WA to Queensland and there's an aviation museum in Tokenwall yes there's something called the Tokenwall blowhole <laughs> <laughs> goodness that, that me must, yeah that must be actually quite a sight probably a bit like a tiny geyser yeah wow so still don't know how to pronounce it, it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this feeling when I go back to Australia I'd like to map out where where granddad actually did all of his training on a map and yes. then perhaps some of our family members we go and travel to these destinations and see for ourselves where he's talking about that'd be lovely when we can and travel this, again this mountain that people had to carry a stick up with their name on it to exchange for the other perpetrator's stick and no one could cheat because you had to bring the stick of the other person's name back down and put yours up there if you got yes. into trouble. So something like that. It's quite, <laughs> Although quite interesting. Although no one thought to be kinder to the next person by picking up the stick at the top, walking down a little bit, dropping the other stick down mm. further so they didn't have to climb the entire way. I'm sure as someone who's being punished, you were like, the next person who gets punished can be punished the same. Like <laughs> just put Good it right point. at the top. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but that also means the first person was probably the officer who punished everyone so at least he did the walk too I must say good um, point yeah so anything that kind of stood out to you in that oh, uh, section or the whole over like chapter oh yes the explosives how tr how he <laughs> said trust no one not even yourself when it comes to explosives <laughs> and uh, my thought is when will I ever use explosives? But it's good and sound advice. So if that ever comes across my path, I'll make sure to remember his advice. <laughs> well, it's it's good to know it, um, in Western Australia here, um, explosives are pretty much banned. So you can't get fireworks at all. There used to be, um, but because of too many burns or fires and, and because of... Uh, our fire bans that we get quite every year um and yes uh our fire safety basically goes from medium as the lowest <laughs> there's no low oh, yeah. to high to very high to catastrophic or devastating 
So um, that's, yeah. So I, I think just in terms of safety for our general population, all fireworks have been banned in WA. Um, yes, but to think that explosives only ever explode downwards or upwards, I'm not quite sure how uh, learned that engineer was, if he was a true engineer or a civil one. Uh, <laughs> He just sounded like he was making things up as he was going along. Yes, but I must say there is another story that dad, a granddad wrote and it was called The Infallible and Their Failings, which is a wonderful title. Why um, do I feel but, like I remember this, vaguely remember Yeah, this I think story. I've mentioned it before. Where yes. he does go on to, to state things about the people he's already talked about in stories, but he gives like yeah. a little bit more. And so with that particular story, the car passed over their heads, but then it landed like right near the offices yeah. of, the, of the high-end offices in that area. And they were just like, oh, my gosh, this car just crashed <laughs> right near us. What the hell happened? And then and- they just got up and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm pretty sure he was fired after that incident. But I'll have to reread we'll the story to-, to really find out. Well, that'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. And I, I got to say, I am absolutely loving Granddad's intelligence level in this, that he is not only able to dodge getting out of doing unwanted uh, training and punishment <laughs> um, as I think he just saw all the training as punishment yeah. but he was also able to get like um, make this ruse up with his two friends and they all happen yeah. to have the one thing wrong with them the other person didn't they were able to stand <laughs> in for each other and I guess yeah. it goes to show the loophole in terms of um, the army with how many men that there were that mm. people didn't even remember who they saw. They just right. saw people, did their job, you know, numbers, the pieces of paper, that's fine. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. there was a bit of a failing in, in that respect. But I guess in terms of granddad's career, uh, it was a positive. <laughs> that's a good point. You're right. Yeah. So, yes. Too, uh, too many to people to really remember. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I think that's... Um, wraps up our segment for today wraps so up thank chapter you. two as well so thank yes. you for reading this with me justine and thank you for listening can't wait to get back pleasure. to the next episode might be a story it might be chapter three you'll just have to wait and find out have see you next time bye thank you for listening Hit the subscribe button if you'd like access to the newest episodes as they release. We love that you want to hear what Ernie had to say, and he had a lot to say. Stay tuned for more to come.